Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat Podcast. This is your host, Tristan Stevenson. Today, I'm speaking with James Hoffman and Timon Kavman. James is the co-founder of Square Mile Coffee Roasters in London, World Barista Champion 2007, and the host of the James Hoffman YouTube channel, which is almost certainly the most popular piece of coffee broadcasting on the planet. Timon is also known as the Brewing Bartender. He's a Munich-based mixologist, combining a passion for coffee and cocktails. In this coffee-flavoured episode, we talk about how James and Timon got into coffee, how the coffee and cafe scene has evolved over the past decade or so, how bar coffee offerings have evolved alongside it, the role that coffee can play in cocktails, and the role it can't or shouldn't, coffee brewing tips, and what the future has in store for coffee in and out of the bar environment. I'm a bit of a coffee nerd too, so this one got geeky at times. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome to the podcast. I am joined here remotely today by James Hoffman and Timon Kaufman. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hi. Now, listen, we're going to talk about coffee, um, and I'm really excited to have you both on board because I know that between you, you've got a huge amount of experience with coffee, uh, experience with cocktails, experience with coffee cocktails, um, and over the course of this podcast, I really want to get down to the nitty gritty around what coffee can bring to cocktails, um, a little bit about cafe culture and how that's evolved over the years, the sort of uh, dynamic between bartenders and baristas, what one another can share uh, in terms of knowledge and practices, and perhaps talk through some some coffee cocktail serves as well. But to kick things off, it'd be great to get an understanding of where the both of you have come from in terms of your career and your love and passion for coffee. So James, we've known each other for 15 years, we reckon. And so I know a lot of this already, but um, it's an, I think your story is incredible. Um, and it would be great to sort of hear a, a potted history of James Hoffman <laughs> over the last 15 to 20 years. So go for it. Okay, I got into coffee um, probably 2003, I think, just like a random job demonstrating coffee machines in a department store. I didn't like or drink coffee at that time, uh, but I thought it was interesting. And so I kind of taught myself to like it, got kind of weird about it, kind of moved from selling machines into kind of doing education and that kind of stuff, got into the competition scene that existed in coffee back then. Um, I was the UK Bristol champion in 2006 and 2007. And in 2007, I won the world Bristol championship, uh, which was kind of crazy and surprising. Um, I think at that time it was kind of like Scandinavians or an Australian, really that was it. You know what I mean? Like there was the idea that an Englishman could win a coffee competition was reasonably hilarious to most of the world. Post um, post 2007, 2008, I started a coffee company. Um, I co-founded Square Mile Coffee Roasters in London which still, you know, is going today. Um, I'm less involved than I used to be. Uh, aside from that, uh, I published The World Atlas of Coffee back in, I think, 2014. And uh, more recently, uh, a lot of my time has been spent on YouTube, of all places. Um, and, uh, you know, having turned 40, I feel like I'm suddenly, I could put YouTuber on my business card, which feels kind of wrong uh, at this point in my life, but it is what it is. Um, and so I do a bunch of other stuff too. I do... Um, I work with a few different businesses uh, that I started. I do some consulting work. I work with a few startups and other stuff as a kind of advisor. It it uh, keeps me busy. How, in terms of a career in coffee, I guess like it, 17 years ago, it 
there were probably options available, um, you know, sale, selling machines or re- working in a roastery for whatever that meant at the time. How, wh- at what stages do you think you sort of looked at where you were and thought, ah, right, here's my career trajectory. Here's how I think the industry is going to change because it's changed a huge amount in that time, right? And here's where I need to position myself in order to be in, you know, the right place for those changes. Yeah, I think I, I think planning wise, I just don't, I, I just wasn't strategic through a lot of my early sort of career and coffee. And then once I sort of flipped into sort of working for myself again, like it was just, you know, nose to the grindstone for like five, six years. And then you kind of came up for air and other opportunities. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think planning has become harder than ever. Um, not just in the last year, but you know, in the last five years, you know, I, I feel like the idea of a five-year plan has been shortened to most people to a two-year plan. Yeah. Um, so Timon, um, how about you? What was your kind of route into coffee? Cause you're, I mean, you are both bartender, you're brewing the brewing bartender, right? This is yeah, your, exactly. uh, your brand or Instagram handle. So what was your route into coffee? Um, and did you, did you come in from coffee first or cocktails first? So it was, well, was basically cocktails first. So it was kind of, yeah, same thing than James. So I slipped in there, um, and wasn't even aware of it. Uh, because I started off on a, on a small golf court, uh, um, tending the bar over there, basically collecting green fees and stuff like that. And one day the owner came towards me and asked me if I want to make some some drinks, some mixed drinks, because he knew I had a, uh, a love for bottles, for spirit bottles. I never drank alcohol to that point, but I, I love to like have my bowl of uh, sakapa rum and stuff uh, in the back shelf and was just proud of it having it standing there and um, then I started mixing drinks basically and I, I yeah fell in love with it basically and then I, I was thinking about what to do with my future and um, went to bar school and from there took off basically um, I attended a bar in, in Munich for a couple of years and then I wanted to go further and did a um, hotel management apprenticeship with uh, Rocco Forte in, uh, in Munich um, after that I went international um, attended for example at uh, the Pegu Club when I came back so at that point I never drank coffee as well because I thought never, never? I mean yeah I, I tried it of course but I was like, yeah. I couldn't understand how people can drink it because for me it was like harsh, bitter, unbalanced black water yeah, because I never had a good one. <laughs> I experienced that a little mm, bit later. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of people who are into coffee know that experience. And um, when I came back to Germany, I started um, working at a bar called uh, Gamzai which was a project from Matthew Becks. So one drink that, that wowed me was called uh, der Raum Sashimi Cocktail, I guess. And what he did was uh, he was taking a watermelon, uh, dehydrated it, and uh, cut it into uh, sashimi-sized um, uh, slices. And then he rehydrated it with the actual cocktail, which was something with uh, sake, uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know anymore what it was. And then he served um, the the sashimi slices on a on a slate together with uh, a spuma, basilicum spuma made out um, of basilicum and some nuts and I'm yeah I'm not sure but it looked like wasabi basically and got some and you got some mm. chopsticks with it so basically your drink was infused to the watermelon you dipped it into that wasabi like basilicum paste and then ate the drink so this was something I was like flashed basically back then 
This was actually the first coffee I had there I really liked. So I was drinking the first flat white over there and was like, well, okay, um, this also can be coffee. So I went over to coffee business, uh, started as a as a barista over there, um, also competed in, in coffee and good spirits back then. Um, and um, yeah, started my label brewing bartender and tried to transfer the coffee knowledge I, I gained in this coffee shop to the bar. Let's unpack this a little bit, coffee and cocktails um, and coffee in bars and restaurants. What do you think some of the key learnings, the things that perhaps you talk about in your masterclasses are that bartenders can take from baristas um, in terms of the way in which they work, um, attention to detail perhaps? Or, um, and following that, we'll get on to sort of how coffee can be integrated into drinks as well. But yeah, first of all, what what is it you're sort of telling people that, telling bartenders that they can what useful things can they take from from baristas coffee is very sensible in its uh, production basically so it can do a lot of mistakes and destroy a lot of work in the last let's say uh, 90 seconds of coffee preparation so this is the first thing that that bartenders need to understand and need to learn also storage and stuff like this and that you can't prepare a bottle of freshly brewed espresso and leave it on the tabletop until the shifts end and still use it. It's just something that doesn't work out. So the, the general understanding of the product of coffee um, is something that, that bars need to focus on because even if you don't have the most expensive equipment, you still can get really good results out of coffee if you if the handling is right and the big advantage or something that that bartenders really can learn from baristas is the attention and the um, detail they bring to a single product because i felt that for a barista it's way easier to focus on on a product because they're three factors mainly in, in coffee business you have to handle every day that's your coffee that's the water and maybe the milk so you can go crazy on milk as well if you want to but yeah if you go to a bar you have different types of spirits you have uh, different types of preparation methods okay you also have that in coffee shop but they're a little bit more diverse at, at the bar i would say and coffee is basically just one ingredient in a drink so it's really hard to to get the focus right sometimes. So this is something uh, bartenders definitely can take from baristas that you really should dive in into a single product and really try to understand it and how to handle it correctly if you if you use it. Okay, cool. James, I, I know you're obviously you know, a, a serious coffee expert, but I know you've got a lot of experience of cocktails as well and you, like, you enjoy drinking cocktails and making them. I do. Um, so if you were going to deliver a seminar to a bunch of bartenders who were let's say you know not exactly that mindful of coffee or, or its quality or the potential of it as a beverage um what would what would be the sort of key pieces of information that you wanted to instill into them to get them passionate about coffee both as a standalone drink um but as and as an ingredient um in cocktails that that is a good question because it's a difficult thing I think to summarize quite quite neatly. I feel like I'd probably trade initially on the idea that coffee is, and this is not my words, so we can argue about this in a minute. But but espresso in particular is probably the most single the single most difficult culinary preparation in the world, and and that's not from me. That's from Nathan Mirvold from Modernist Cuisine when they wrote that book, and and I think that's probably probably accurate. I don't think there's another 
preparation where half a gram variance in, in an ingredient or five seconds variance in preparation time can turn something from great to desperately average. You know, mm. at the same time, I think the thing about coffee that's that's the upside of that is there's a recipe. There's 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 it's not just difficult for the sake of difficult. It's it's understanding what you would you've got to get right. So if you can control your variables properly, you can make better tasting coffee. And you know, I think the challenge coffee poses, and this is probably into a, a you know some opinion at this point, but I think it's a very very difficult ingredient to mix with. Um, you know, I think it's an unforgiving ingredient to mix with. I think it, it, it's, it's particular, you know, good espresso is this fascinating balance of sweet, bitter and acid kind of together. And I think, you know, I, I'm obsessed with balance in all drinks, not just cocktails or coffee. And I think in coffee, sorry, in cocktails, coffee can easily throw your balance out. You can skew bitter very easily by making a, an overextracted or, you know, a, a sort of bad shot that way. It can trend acidic in another way and just throw your drink out a whole other way it's a difficult kind of bunch of flavors to profile with. So my advice is it would, or my, my, my message would be, this is something you can be very good at or something you can be very bad at. And there's not a lot in between you. You kind of have to care and pay attention to this ingredient, probably more so than anything else that you'll pick up behind that bar and put into a drink. Now that, that might just be my own obsession with coffee and, and seeing those details there. But yeah, like, like Timon said, like um, you can't just, you know, brew a batch of espresso, stick it in a squeeze bottle and leave it behind the bar all night. Like it, it, it falls apart. It's, you know, more fragile, certainly than, you know, things like lime juice die quickly. Coffee really dies quickly. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think that's where I would sort of start in terms of just trying to get people to understand that this little moment of preparation will have a massive impact on how good the rest of the drink is. Disproportionately so. Yeah. I think this, for me, when it comes to sort of translating coffee to a bartender audience i think there's a great deal to be said for the attention to detail that good baristas take in production of espresso or indeed any coffee um attention to detail with the ingredients uh the sourcing of those ingredients the storage of those ingredients um and that, that, of course, goes for the roaster, but also you know, where the coffee was grown, how it's been processed, all those kind of things that fa- factor into flavor. And then, of course, for the production of the coffee itself. And that was really what I think inspired me to be more inquisitive around bartending practices, having spent a bit of time as a barista. Because I kept, after, after obsessing over, you know, like, total dissolved solids in a, an espresso shot and brew ratios and, you know, milk protein um, chemistry. And then you go to pick up a cocktail shaker and you think, oh, wait a second, I'm still just sort of dumping ice and juice and booze into this thing without really a second thought for the mechanics of this process, you know, thinking about temperature and dilution and the quality of the water that I'm using. And so I think there's a wonderful education piece um, that can translate from skilled baristas into barcraft. And I think it has a lot. I think that bartenders in in recent times, over the past 10 years, have obviously had to take note of this sort of growing barista culture and this coffee obsession that's been, you know, kind of developing around cities all over the world and, and come to realize that there is something really mad going on here in the brewing of coffee and something that requires an enormous amount of thought and consideration but 
and I, I'm going to definitely try and play devil's advocate with you more. I'm also in agreement that coffee doesn't mix that well, typically. I think it's very challenging to mix with it in cocktails. Um, and I think that I find it particularly challenging because I have such a deep love for great coffee. And yet I'm acutely aware whenever I put it in cocktails that a lot of the things that I am so obsessed with and, and, and adore about that perfect cup of, of uh, you know, cafetiere or, or pour over coffee, it gets lost in a cocktail. Um, and the, 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 the sacrifice of that nuance isn't balanced by a marked improvement in the cocktails that I'm mixing with that coffee. So it makes me wonder, am I just better off drinking a nice cocktail with a nice coffee on the side uh, and kind of back and forth between them or, you know, allowing coffee to sit there in the morning and that being my morning thing and then cocktails being my evening thing and, 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 and accepting that, you know, they just perhaps don't mix that well. Now, I'm going to come to you in a sec, Timon, because I want you to prove <laughs> me wrong and tell me I'm wrong. Um, there, there, but I will, I will just argue my own point just for a second, argue against my own point. There are obviously very popular coffee cocktails out there, the espresso martini being the obvious one. Now, that for me is a coffee cocktail, but it's not one that really celebrates coffee. It, it celebrates a certain sort of aspect of coffee flavour. Um, it sweetens it a lot. Um, and then puts it in a cocktail glass and it looks great. It's a great looking drink. There's no denying that. Um, but I wonder if like by sort of promoting espresso martinis, we're doing a disservice to both cocktails and coffee since it's not a great example of, of either of those drinks. But I'm going to pass over to you now, Timon, because you're going to tell me that everything I've said <laughs> wrong and actually coffee and spirits are this magical <laughs> harmonious mixture that uh if, if enough care and attention is taken can be sublime go for it yeah so actually i uh, agree with a lot of what you said so first of all i also find that coffee is a really really tricky ingredient to to mix with and get a nice balance with and at the end of the day replicate it because if you do if you pull fresh espresso at your bar uh the first time you hit it on point and the second time um, the espresso is just a little off and throws off the whole drink. So it's it's really a difficult ingredients to start off with. But it's always the question from, from for me and my personal opinion from which angle you look at it. Do you want to just get a little bit of a coffee feeling into a cocktail or do you want to mix a drink which promotes the uh, strength of the cocktail uh, of the of the coffee you're using? So this is uh, two different approaches um, where you have to to see what what fits the idea of the drink you want to deliver. Um, I think coffee in a bar is not meant to be like those. Uh, um, coffee and good spirits and barista championship styles of coffee it's more like getting um a nice sense of coffee maybe also the the effect of the caffeine uh which you want in a in, in an evening hour maybe and and to to get that feeling of coffee into a drink and not showcasing every single nuance of this coffee because this is something you really have to concentrate on if you have high quality coffee and want to pick out all its facets. Um, it's not something you do 
sitting in a bar, a loud bar, noisy, maybe having great conversations. You don't want to sit there and just focusing on the drink. It's more like a side hustle, basically, when you go to a bar. Uh, I mean, of course, there are bars where you only want to focus on the drink. But in most cases, it's just like something around it. And um, I like to I like to compare it very often to single malt and to single malt drinkers. If you talk to a really like uh, into single malt person um, about mixing a single malt whiskey, uh, he thinks you're not nuts. Yes. So uh, for single malt drinkers, they only want even if just add a little bit of water to the single malt to like get a different idea of it, then would never mix it. And this is a standpoint where baristas normally coming from or people who know about coffee and the, the, yeah, the potential of coffee, uh, because it's so much work to get that out that you don't want to, yeah, destroy it by putting it into a drink. So, yeah. I get your point. Yeah, it's perhaps not a bad analogy to use a single malt one. I mean, if you go back even 10 years, the idea of mixing malts was, um, you know, it's sacrosanct and, you, you, you know, you just don't want to go near it. Whereas now most of the single malt brands uh, are asking bartenders to mix their spirits because they realize it's, yeah. it sells. Um, do you, I mean, James, do you reckon we could be sort of living through that period in coffee where, you know, it's best left untouched or perhaps with, you know, some decent milk skills, you can mix that into your espresso, but otherwise please don't sweeten it. Please don't do anything else. And maybe in five or 10 years time, we'll start to see more of this, a revolution in, in good quality mixed coffee drinks, whether they be alcoholic or otherwise. You know, at this point, we're probably still at a phase where we can be a bit precious about the product. And, you know, like, I don't want to mix this or this doesn't adequately express its terroir or its nuance or its taste of place in this mixed drink. And therefore it is flawed or, or you know, and I, I think that's probably a mistake to, to go too far down that route. You know, I think coffee on a very technical level, I guess, is, an, is a difficult ingredient because it's mostly water. And water, by and large, is not something you want an enormous amount of poured into the middle of a cocktail. And so, you know, I, I think if you're talking about taking brewed coffee of some sort and integrating it into cocktails, I think that's really, really difficult. Um, I, I, I think coffee can can play a role as an ingredient in a drink that you know, a little bit like we just talked about, like it, it, one of those things, I really like coffee cocktails where I don't know the coffee's in there unless I really look for it. And then I can see where it's there. I can see the space that it's filling in terms of flavor or texture or or taste, I guess, in another way. But ultimately the kind of gestalt, the, the, the finished drink is delicious in and of itself. And, and you know, you're not thinking about what's what's individually got into it. You're just thinking, do I do I like drinking this drink? You know, mm, I think as any good cocktail should be, really, regardless of whether right. it's got coffee in the it. The whole yeah. point is to make this finished, you know, balanced thing that doesn't taste of any one thing too much that that is this new, you know, that to me is a classic cocktail. Those are those drinks that have achieved, you know, a, a kind of Coca-Cola-esque balance of flavor where you don't you know what what does coca-cola taste of most people could not mm. tell you that you know what i mean they're not picking apart lime or orange and aroli or all those ridiculous oils um you know so i think coffee has a role there i think coffee i'm a big fan of um trying to bypass water as much as possible i i, I do like coffee infused into booze i like the different flavor profile you get from using alcohol as a solvent um you know, I, th I think there's this space to play with it there and introduce it in a way that isn't the same kind of dilutionary problem. 
What what is the what what would you say is the different kind of flavor extraction you get from um, alcohol infusion over water with coffee? I I don't know if you can speak in broad sweeping generalizations. You, you definitely get a different bitterness profile, and I think from that perspective, I've historically been a fan of things like milk washing, coffee infusions, because I do think that that little bit of milk does help mop up some of those additional bitterness sort of additional bitter characteristics you get from kind of coffee infusions into booze. I think you do get a slightly broader aromatic spectrum from it. You know what I mean? Like um, if you do full um, oil infusions, so if you go all the way into sort of non-polar, are we going down this route here? Is this <laughs> okay, for it. fine? Um, if you go all the way into the sort of fully non-polar flavor compounds, you get a lot of the flavors that, that remind you of how coffee smells when it grinds. You know, there's a gap between how coffee mm. smells when you grind it and how it tastes when you mm. brew it. There's a little, there's a piece missing there. And probably a good part of that is just simply not water soluble, um, but they are oil soluble. And you do get a little bit more of that with alcohol. If you're in a strong enough, you know, if your alcohol percentage is high enough in your infusion liquid, um, so yeah, you get a slightly fuller profile, but you will get more bitterness as well. Typically, I find there's a bit more attack and harshness up front on a straight infusion that needs to be moderated in some way before it goes into a finished drink. And I mean, I guess you get the inevitable alcohol burn as well, right? Which is obviously going to play into the coffee flavor and not necessarily in a good way, which I guess tends to be why you know most coffee infusions are sweetened, right? To kind of offset some of that and perhaps the bitterness. And some of the acid as well. I think that's, you know, that's really where it helps pull back a little bit of balance too. Yeah. Can you, so you mentioned you like cocktails where there's, you know, coffee, there's an aspect of coffee in there, but it's not necessarily a key, the key ingredient or a really noticeable part of the drink. Can you think of any examples of drinks where you've, ta you've tasted them and said, oh, that's great, you know, but there's a little bit of coffee in there, and, and but it wasn't overwhelming or, um, and equally it, you know, it did justice to the coffee without, um, without being a sort of massive part of the drink. That's a very good question. I feel like it's, I would say 99% of the coffee cocktails I've had out in bars, coffee is used with a heavy hand and, mm. and it's just allowed to just, you know, steamroll almost everything else in, in the drink. Examples of ones that have been good, I will have to have a little think and sort of flick through the, the mental Rolodex, That's but, but they are rare. You know, but that's a, that's another good point, really. I mean, if you if you're selling a cocktail with coffee under the ingredients list, then you have to think about what the guest is expecting as well, and they may be expecting something espresso martini esque or something that has a strong coffee flavor to it. So, if you were to deliver a cocktail that was balanced and you know, in a, you know, for all intent and purposes, perfect, but that coffee component was dialed down to maybe 5% of the total aromatic profile of the drink or taste taste profile of the drink, but nonetheless, an important part of it, forming that sort of harmonious balance, that, 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 you know, that delicious flavor, would a customer or a guest be happy with that not being a coffee flavored drink as such, or not at least not being a strong coffee flavored drink? That's down to how you sell, right? Like I, I've had a ton of cocktails with tea in them over the years. Very few of them have tasted like a cold cup of tea with a bit of booze in the back end, right? Like, but that's how a lot of bad coffee cocktails taste. And, mm. you know, you can put coffee as your last ingredient or, you know what I mean? If you, uh, How you sell this thing is, 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 are you meeting the promise you've made? If you put coffee as this is a coffee thing, sure, mm. they expect coffee as a, you know, front and center. But if it's a, a drink that happens to have a little coffee in it, if you think about how chefs use it in desserts, 
same thing. You can you can see coffee, you know, a long way down the ingredients list of a dessert, and it doesn't have to be about coffee, but the the, the coffee is adding depth, richness, a little pleasant, you know, bitterness to that thing, and I think that the guest can enjoy that a huge amount if it's done well. Do you think it's possible if it's done well for coffee to convey that? you know, that delicious sort of fruitiness, perhaps sort of slightly tropical, that sweetness that you can find in really great brewed coffee and espresso that, you know, the sort of coffee where people get that aha moment when they taste it and go, oh, wow, coffee can taste like this. And it's not dominated by, you know, dark roast or chocolate characteristics. It's, it's, it's you know, it's got, it's got more of that fruit quality going on. Do you think it's possible to translate those flavors into a cocktail? Or do you think they're so easily lost that we need to sort of resign ourselves to the fact that coffee in a cocktail is really only going to contribute bitterness and darker roasty characteristics and maybe acidity. Two answers to that off the top of my head. One, yes, I absolutely think you can capture those flavors and put them into a drink. I don't think you'd have the same aha moment because you're that experience has a different set of expectations around it. And the aha moment in coffee comes because someone's expecting coffee to taste like coffee, coffee. And then they have this thing that tastes of mango and fruit and it's or berries and it's just delicious and juicy. And, and, you know, that's shocking to them. That may not seem as shocking in a cocktail where there's a bunch of other ingredients going into it. And that's kind of the point. So yes, you can capture those flavors and yes, you can use those flavors, I think. And you can, you can create a drink that's interesting as a result, but I don't think you'll have that same aha moment or that kind of what, mm. what, what coffee is this kind of moment in there. People will be like, I don't know what this is. I like it or I don't, but there, there isn't that sure. sort of connection or expectation. Yeah. Come on, Timo, give us a couple of examples of some drinks that I, I, I know you were working on a fermented drink, which I'm really interested to hear yeah. about. Um, so talk us through a couple of the cocktails you've been working on recently and how you're integrating coffee coffee into those. Yeah, so um, the first drink um, with the fermentation I was talking about was basically because like in a lot of uh, quality coffee shops, um, we were only pulling double shots back then. And um, we still sold single shots. So that meaning if, if we were not super busy, all those single shots, either we had to drink it by ourselves, which could be painful at a certain point, uh, or we had to dump it. And I thought, I want to do something with it because it's it's a shame to to throw away the precious coffee. And um, 50% of everything yeah, you make. Kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I started collecting it, even knowing that I can use it anymore at the end of the shift, but I wanted to do something else with it. So... Um, as, I, as I'm coming from bar background and I'm a big fan of champagne, I try to use this technique to do something else out of, of the coffee, basically. So um, I use the, the méthode champenoise, so the, the champagne-making method, to um, yeah use the coffee again. So I added a little bit of, of uh, sugar and some... I, I experimented with different kinds of yeasts, beer yeast, champagne yeast, wine yeast, um, and ended up with uh, port wine yeast and put it into a bottle and let um, the yeast do its thing, basically, to get a really nice carbonization and um, basically a, a totally new coffee beverage out of it. And then um, you can take out the yeast when it's done its job and as much sugar as you want and um, have a really nice and interesting beverage. Of course, it doesn't have anything to do anymore with the 
the original coffee because the yeast is there and you got the the uh, carbonization and it's but it's a super interesting and super fun thing to do with coffee and uh, use it as a filler afterwards yeah and did low abv drink with a, a tiny tiny bit of, of vodka uh like it one um a little bit of port wine and use the 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 champagne basically the coffee champagne as a filler uh which made it a super interesting coffee drink which nobody expected to be coffee at the end of the day so what sort of um strength was the coffee at when you're fermenting it you say you're using the the spare shots of espresso and then diluting it with water presumably yeah, exactly. So I, I basically made an Americano out of out of it. Yeah. So used the, okay. the espresso as a base and filled it up with with water. Later, I was going on to to uh, do some tryouts with filter coffee, so you get a different result with that again. Um, yeah, exactly. So this was basically the base. And then um, it's just carbonating the so it's uh, fermenting in the bottle. You're not producing a lot of alcohol. It's carbon dioxide mostly. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, depending on how much sugar you use and how long you, yeah, you yeah. let it ferment basically on the yeast um to be honest i n- never did a test how much alcohol it has inside afterwards because i was mixing up mixing it up with alcohol anyway so um as yeah. long as the taste was fine <laughs> and then what does it taste like tell it describe it to us i, I mean is, uh, yeast often produces like acidity so I'm, I'm thinking coffee that's sort of up the acidity a bit more yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course, you get a little bit of acidity depending on how much of a dosage you put in there afterwards. So how much sugar you you sweeten up to get like uh, prude or uh, semi dry or whatever. Um, but uh, of course, you get uh, yeasty flavors. You still have the coffee going on. You get a lot of acidity and uh, floral notes as well. So it totally depends on what kind of coffee you take and what kind of yeast uh, for example so i I would never go with with a beer yeast or something like this because this just overpowers everything it's just yeast at the end of the day but wine yeast port yeast champagne yeast this works quite fine interesting have you ever had fermented coffee james i've had a bunch of like uh, coffee kombuchas and that kind of stuff um but for me i find that once you get too much of like an acetic profile in there the coffee kind of fights back against it and you have this real kind of like a a lack of harmony there i know they can be done i think the coffee collective in denmark do a fantastic coffee kombucha but really difficult Mm. to do um but outside of that no not a lot of other fermentations which feels like a shame because this good it's a huge playground right of flavor so yeah i i think more people should be trying it i'm imagining quite a cool sort of foamy pour with it like frothing up in the glass it must be quite good it's basically like like champagne because co2 and coffee that's another one that i'm trying to work out in my head whether or not that's going to feel right or not on the palate fizzy coffee yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah it's something uh, that's that's the same point as uh, uh, james said before it's about how you're selling it and what what is your imagination about it that's that's a big problem when you work with coffee that as soon as people hear coffee, they immediately have a, a, a certain mindset of flavors in their head they're expecting from this beverage, this is, which is in front of them. And this is a little bit hard to overcome if, you, if you're playing around with coffee, um, especially if this are, people who are not experienced in specialty coffee and light roast coffees. Um, it can be, yeah a little bit of throwing if you're expecting something different. Have you got any other serves you could share with us, perhaps, Timon? 
Um, so, so one of my most favorite uh, uh, coffee cocktails I made in the very early beginnings when I dived into it was basically, uh, I called it a Respresso, which was basically an espresso sour with uh, fresh raspberries in there. And um, this was a drink I, I really loved, even though it was alcohol-free, but you could also pimp it up, of course, with uh, a little bit of, of rum or whatever spirit you fancy. But this was a really nice drink where uh, the coffee could also showcase its potential, uh, which is super easy. So um, it's espresso, a little bit of lemon juice, a little bit of uh, sugar or vanilla syrup, and um, mm. some raspberries shaken up strained super easy uh, as i said you can also go with a little rum in there or uh maybe a tequila which is also a nice spirit for for mixing with with coffee in my in my opinion do you use a particular type of coffee for that uh, i mean i mean which kind of coffee i use is normally dependent on um, the preparation technique and the ingredients i use and of course um what what i want to to have an effect in the drink. So is the coffee the base of the drink or is it just an, an fortifier or a flavoring agent? And um, therefore, so normally if I go shaken, uh, I go with uh, um, naturals. So like coffee that have has a lot of body, a lot of sweetness to it and um, can yeah fight against the other ingredients as a little bit more than a washed one. Um, but other than this, it's totally dependent on the drink, the coffee itself um yeah that's good i i've always been sort of fascinated by some of the berry fruit flavors you can get in coffee and, and whether or not it's possible to kind of leverage them in cocktails i've had mixed results though to be honest I, sometimes i feel like i take this coffee that and i don't do this anymore by the way back when i used to mix coffee i haven't really played around with them much recently um but back when i used to do it i'd, I'd take this coffee that's got this wonderful you know, dark berry characteristic, like, a, you know, an African coffee, like a Kenyan. And then I think, right, cool, well, let's layer some more of that on top. And then you do it and you're like, well, yeah, obviously it tastes more like blackcurrants now because I just put something blackcurrant flavored in there. Um, and I felt like I lost something. That, and and I, it's, it's such a challenge, I feel, to get this balance right between accentuating flavor without sort of dominating the flavor that already exists in there do you know what i mean definitely yes anyway that, your, your drink sounds cool um let's talk about youtube channels actually because james you are i mean I, I when i was messaging you before this episode i confessed that i only just found out very recently i think a couple of months ago that you are like a significant youtube player now yeah. I, we, we mentioned it earlier but you've got hundreds of thousands of subscribers to your channel now haven't you it's become a thing yeah it's definitely uh I think I started the year with a couple hundred thousand subscribers and I'm currently at about 600 and change. Um, so, you know, so tripled. Yeah, 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 yeah pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, and big growth in April uh, and May particularly. I suppose in a way, and I think this is the, the same as probably true of, of, of like specialty um, cocktail bars as well. For the, lo for the lo longest time over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been this sense that the specialty coffee, but really only a very small section of consumers appreciate it or want to spend the money on it or bother to visit these places when you take the whole sort of wider demographic or you know the public but what of course has also been going on as alongside that is a a push to market specialty coffee from um 
the big chain outlets as well. So, you know, Starbucks, um, Costa promoting flat whites and latte art and, you know, starting to talk in a more technical way around the quality of the coffee they produce, whether that's in the sourcing of it or the, or the brewing of it. Despite the fact that that, in most instances, isn't actually translated into their product, nonetheless, they're talking about it. And since they're talking about it, it means that nearly everyone's being exposed to it. So that's, it, I know that might be one of the reasons why everyone in speciality coffee has underestimated the volume of people who are interested in this kind of thing. It's because the big chains with their marketing budgets and their shop fronts have been advertising this, you know, this, this potential for great tasting coffee, the promise of it, while not delivering it, we should quit caveating with that. Um, and now the likes of yourself and anyone else who's broadcasting about coffee or writing about coffee suddenly gives them open access to all this information so that they can really start to actually learn properly and experience all the things that they've been promised um, out there in the in, in you know in towns and cities. I think people ultimately still treat YouTube longer term as a form of entertainment. And I think that's the bit where a lot of channels historically or a lot of you know outreach to consumers has been a lot of how to which answers the question there and then and then they move on but uh, you know i think not enough places embraced how to while entertaining you keeping you and then you're like well what have you got for me today because you know mm -hmm. now that i trust you and i find you entertaining i'm willing to listen to you talk about something that i wasn't that interested in beforehand Right. Mm, and, okay. and that's the shift for me that's been really particularly interesting because you can then introduce things to people who weren't looking for it in the first place. So, just to sort of start tying this up, James, what do you think are the challenges that coffee currently faces um, in cafes? Um, and where, how do you see things evolving over the next, say, three to five years in the world of coffee? In truth, I think um, coffee is going through broadly what the beer industry is kind of going through at the same time, which is a bit of consolidation has been happening. We've had kind of maybe maybe peak interesting in terms of diversity of companies and you know offerings and all that kind of stuff. We're into a phase of contraction and consolidation. So, you know, in, in the short term, demand is incredibly strong. And I think for the first time, coffee shops are going to go into coffee shops are going to go into competition with coffee at home. And historically, that was never a competing thing. Like coffee at home was not a competing market to a coffee shop, but now it is. In the last year, more people than ever have invested in equipment and coffee and themselves to make better coffee at home. That said, people love going to coffee shops. So I don't think that market is going to disappear, but I think there is going to be a little bit of kind of crossover of, should I make this drink? Should I go out for this drink? In the past, we'd have just gone out. You know, that would have been, I don't have the kit, I have the time, I don't really know how to do it. That's been solved. And so, you know, I think the successful coffee shops will be ones that, that trade a little harder on experience, on environment, you know, all of those kind of things, as well as delicious coffee. That has to be the barest of minimums now. So I think that's an interesting shift, um, you know. Uh, how, so do you think takeaway is the most likely to suffer in that sense, since they're not, you're not getting the added value of the, of the location and the space? Just sit in, it, sit in it and, you know, if I'm making a coffee at home, I can put it in a takeout cup and take it on my commute with me kind of thing. I'd worry about that. Yeah. I think that, you know, the do I get coffee once I get off the tube versus do I make a coffee before I get on the tube? That's going to be, a, you know, once we people are commuting again, once that sort of shift has happened, that will be very interesting. Now, the upside of all of this is that more people than ever 
understand that coffee is not the easiest thing to do at home and that it can be done well or, or it can be done badly. And frankly, I appreciate baristas more than I ever have. And the idea of being able to pay someone else to do this for me has never been more appealing. You know, there's a point mm. where we might be done making our own coffee and want to go back to just, you do it, you do it. It's worth the money for you to do the mess, the dialing in, all of that oh, kind of stuff. Making espresso in your home is a, an enormous. I mean, I did it for a few years after when I stopped being a barista because I missed it. And I was still, I was still doing competition. So I kind of had to. It's just such a faff. You waste so much coffee. You make so much mess for such a small amount of liquid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's fun, though. It's a hobby. It's a, it's a really fun hobby. It's a very satisfying hobby. There's great progression. You can spend endless amounts of time and money on it. Like, it's a classic hobby. Uh, but if you don't want it to be a hobby, then, yes, the two pounds, few dollars that you spend, a few euros that you spend paying someone else to do it for you is a fantastic investment in your life. So, mm. you know... I'm not all doom it's and like gloom. It's like pizza in that way, I think. Like pizza, making pizza, good pizza at home is, well, really, really difficult without a pizza oven. Um, and similarly to coffee, the cost of the ingredients are cheap um, compared to what you pay for it. You know, there's like a 90% markup or whatever on it. Um, but it's well worth the money to pay for great pizza. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, if you've got fermentation again right you're proving all the dough getting the oven up to the right temperature doing all your sauce topping there's a lot of work that goes into making a pizza but it's very easy to just go down. there's a lot of good pizza um uh ovens now in in most towns and cities sorry anyway i got carried away with that analogy <laughs> yeah, pizza's the great thing so, <laughs> so i just yeah. like pizza okay <laughs> it doesn't um the only other thing i think what i'd probably remark on that might have some or you know relevance to the bar industry would be i think you'll see great coffee shops continue to lean into part automation part um systems stronger systems you know what i mean like uh i uh you know i'm very pro leveraging weight how much coffee have i put in this basket how much liquid have i put out of this basket that has a massive impact on flavor i can you know i have the technology now that i can a few people, two, three people can make 700 drinks a day with tiny variances in their specs, right? Like that, that's now considered not the bare minimum, but that's like, if you want to operate at a high level in coffee, you need to be investing in this particular area. It always, as someone who makes cocktails on weighing scales, because like, like, uh, you don't have to do it fast. Well, but here's the thing. That's always the, that's, that's always the argument, right? The, The argument is always speed. And yet in a coffee shop, three people can produce 700 drinks a day. How many bartenders do you need to do 700 drinks, yeah. right? Like, like we're, we're going, we're going quickly. We're going quicker than we used to now, even if we've added some stuff in there because technology has caught up to our needs. And like, is it like, like you were saying before, Timon, like how you hold it a, a bit, like a bitters bottle can change how much bitters you dash into a drink. That to me seems like a massive issue in variance. Whereas I'm like, put in half a gram of bitters, just put in half a gram. There it is. Doesn't matter how you hold the bottle, how you shake it. Like it just blows my mind. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm no great fan of um, volumetric measuring. However, um, in a bar environment, you will always be quicker if you're measuring by volume than by scales. Um, it's just it's just faster, um, because in part it's less accurate. Well, right. <laughs> like uh, that's the thing, and for for me, that that's because uh, as I look at it. No one's really invested in a technology to close the gap between between sort of speed and accuracy that's there. You know what I mean? Like 
there, there hasn't been a demand for that, and that's fair enough. I you know, am result. I'm, I'm mostly I'm bummed out often by cocktails being clearly just that little bit sloppy and all the right places to have the kind of the mm. cumulative error be quite large. You know what I mean? That's how I kind of feel often. Um, and that just feels like a shame if you want 12 pounds of my money for a single drink. Yeah. I think bars have overcome this problem by batching a lot more though. Batching um, at least takes out the balance element of it, or at least it should have seeming you're balancing it right in the first place. And you know, I don't really know anyone who doesn't batch cocktails by weight uh, because it's just totally impractical to use massive measuring jugs. Uh, you know, who uses those things? Um, so, or at least who uses the the, the measuring gradients on the side? Um, so, I think it, you're going to find a different experience at a bar where they're not batching, or you know, you're ordering off menu and it isn't batched, uh, and therefore produced a la minute. Um, but it's, I do think there's a compromise there between speed and accuracy. And yeah, there's probably a gap that needs closing there. Um, but probably it needs a push from guests as well to start demanding better balanced drinks so that bartenders and bar operators sort of say, well, you know, we, we, why are we doing this in these crazy little jigger things? Um, which, you know, even the shape of them aren't, they're not, <laughs> not shaped well for measurement. Like halfway up is not half. The, of the volume of the jigger <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's designed to make it hard for you <laughs> yeah so actually i think um cocktails are not as sensitive to mistakes than um it is coffee um that's one point i think it's it's um long-lasting debate if free pouring jiggering or whatever measurement is is good or the best for using at the bar mm, well i think i think the general rule is the stronger or the higher intensity flavor the ingredient the more careful you need to be with its handling in respect to how much you're putting in, because obviously it has a, a, a greater um, ability to dominate. We've talked a little bit about um, the differences between baristas and bartenders. What similarities do you think there are between the two roles? And how do you think the two professions have sort of diverged over the last few years? Because it feels to me like they were very different roles 20 years ago. Um, both have changed a lot in that time, but they seem to be coming closer. Do you think, James? Yeah, I think so. I think at their core, they have this kind of empathy hospitality piece where every single person who walks in and sits down or walks in and lines up has a slightly different need. And your sole goal here is to leave them a little happier than when they walked in. And so there's a there's a piece of assessment that needs to be done beyond just you know the the manufacturing of a drink to order. There's that 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 interpersonal you know. Uh, conversational aspect of the trade that I think is so important in terms of understanding exactly what it is that your guest wants and needs in this particular moment. I think um, I think that the gap that's closed for I think a lot of people is the 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 baristas are probably finally seen as having skill. Uh, yeah, I think historically bartenders were understood to be skillful, even if for many people what they understood to be skillful was flaring or something like that. You know what I mean? Or, mm. you know, but mm. I think both of them are more broadly understood to be professions that require skill, understanding, that, that have progression in them, and that you have people who know and care about what they do the other side of the bar from you who are looking after you in mm. a good place. So, you know, that's, I think, where they've come together a little bit more. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, though, on the sort of downer to that, there's, for, for both professions, I think they've been guilty of certain sections moving towards this kind of elitist approach to their craft 
wherein it's like super serious head down I couldn't possibly talk to you because what I'm doing here is really beyond your comprehension. Um, such is my understanding of coffee, stroke, cocktails, mixology, stroke, brewing coffee. And that's that sort of more ugly side of it, which, I mean, do you think we're moving away from that a little bit now? I feel like we probably have with coffee, and, and to be fair, I feel like we have with bartending as well. It's it's pretty well vilified in, in bar circuits now if you're being a little bit, you know, geekiness is welcome but it needs to be fun. Um, and as soon as you get too serious and, and um, you know, up your own self, then you, you, get, you get pretty, you get, you, you'll get laughed at. Um, it's moving away from that as well in coffee, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that the, there's less room to be precious. There's less room to be overly earnest about these things. You can be serious and dedicated and all of that kind of stuff. But I think um, we were an era, we, we had an era of no, you know, can I have the espresso to go? No. Can I have sugar in that? No. Can I have milk in that? No. Can I have this? No. And and we've kind of moved into an era of yes again mm. now where, you know, if you want a ton of cream in this, and, but you still want to pay for a great coffee at the base of that drink. Yes, absolutely. If, if you enjoy that, you enjoy that, you know. I think it's it, what, off, what can happen or what did happen uh, when a you know, a craft really begins to gather pace and attention is that it can become overwhelming to the detriment of the hospitality. Uh, you become so impassioned by it and so granular with everything that you're doing relating to this craft that everything else can, you know, do one. <laughs> this is the most, weighing this espresso right now is the most important thing I'm going to do for you today. Um, not smiling or, or saying, how's your morning going? Um, and so I, and I, you know, I've probably felt victim to that in, as well at some point in time during my bar career, um, where you get, you get carried away with, with trying to make delicious things and, and, and think about it a lot. Just to finish up, one more thing, some tips from both of you, I think that would be useful for bartenders or, or indeed people who are brewing coffee, but working in restaurants or not in a cafe environment. What, would you advise as a piece of equipment or a practice that can up their coffee game um, daily by, you know, just brewing better coffee or a better way to take care of it um, or, you know, a new way to brew it or a tip for brewing? It's <sighs> a good question again. The, bo the boring answer ultimately is, is stop underestimating cleaning. You know, that would be that if your coffee tastes better, the first thing I check is just go and clean the life out of the thing and then start again. That aside, um, I, you know, I think it would be um, put the time into learning a little bit more about lighter roasts of coffee that will offer you a little bit more in terms of flavor. I, I feel like historically the, 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 the bar industry has lent towards darker, more developed roasts because they were sort of described as being tolerant or easier or more forgiving in some manner. But they lack some of the fun complexity that, that sort of lighter roasts can give you. They're just a little bit more work, but they're absolutely worth the investment in, in time, effort, and skill to, to kind of get more out of them. So just explore your ingredient a little bit more. Comment, Timon, what do you reckon? What's your top tips for brewing great coffee and bars? And also, you know, I mean, we've, we've covered it pretty fully, but any tips you've got for more tips you've got for integrating coffee into cocktails as well? Yeah, I mean, um, the first question every bar owner should ask themselves is do they really want to put in the effort to serve a good 
or at least decent cup of coffee or espresso. Um, because I think if you, if you have a kind of a reputation of being a good bar or one of the best bars, you shouldn't stop with coffee. And this is especially for a bar, a topic which can be quite costly and quite um, labor intense because it's not a coffee shop at the end. Maybe you're selling, if you're a small bar, maybe you're selling 10, 20 espressos a night, need another 10 or 20 for your drinks and that's it. Because espresso or again, in general, coffee in a bar is sometimes a bit of a different topic because for a lot of people, it's too late for coffee um, or too early for spirits. So uh, you really need to make sure you have the right concept for your coffee. And if you serve coffee, make sure, as uh, James already said, um, that you know what you're doing, basically. What about um, sort of doing away with espresso altogether, though, and just accepting that it's really hard to make? Uh, you know, we've already talked about that. And, and then, you know, maybe going with a more more forgiving brewing method. Yeah, exactly. You can do a French press, a proper French press in a bar, which is easily implemented into your workflows. Um, you don't have to, to stand next to it and pour it over uh, for, for two to three minutes. You can just set it up, leave it its time and then serve it. Um, that's that's totally fine i think if you want to serve coffee but don't have the time or the knowledge to uh to a proper espresso there's nothing wrong with that yeah 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 you know you don't not everyone has to do everything you know i think it's okay to say no to, we don't do espresso and that's okay yeah exactly that's the point good point to end on thank you so much guys uh for coming on it was really fun chatting to you um i'm keen to try this fermented coffee at some point or, or, or coffee collectives kombucha i haven't had that either YouTube channels, James, you're James Hoffman. I am. Timon, you are Brewing Bartender. Exactly. Perfect. Check them out. And uh, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat podcast. Follow and subscribe now for more episodes and to rate this podcast. You can also dive into previous episodes featuring conversations between myself and industry experts covering a whole range of interesting topics. See you later, everyone. Bye.